There's lots of advice telling you how to set and reach your goals. But before you dive in, it's a good idea to know God's plan for your life. Find joy in pursuing the next steps God has for you in Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, Forward, Discovering God's Presence and Purpose in Your Tomorrow. God does have a perfect plan for you, and it's time to embrace your life's purpose. It's time to move forward. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash forward. Welcome to Turning Point. From destructive storms to devastating earthquakes, natural disasters come without warning, leaving damage and often death behind. Today, Dr. David Jeremiah begins the series, What Are You Afraid Of?, with a look at Job and a question he surely wrestled with. Where is God when disaster strikes? Listen as David introduces his message, Disaster, the Fear of Natural Calamity. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're happy to have you along as we begin a new month together. Uh, We are going to talk about what you are afraid of during this month. And uh, don't tell me you don't have any uh, secret fears. We all do, I'm sure. But uh, we have a book we're going to be telling you about in just a moment. And every day that you uh, tune in to this program, we're going to talk about a different kind of fear, the different reasons why we become afraid. And uh, we'll get started on that in just a few moments. But first, let me remind you, you can get a copy of the book in which all of this material will be found. uh, And uh, you will be able to trace the things we talk about on on the radio into the different chapters of this book. Most of the chapters are mirrors of what we talk about on the radio. But uh, I'll just tell you a real quick story. I have a friend who uh, just got a copy of this book. And when I saw her uh, at the gym, she came up to me and just said, thank you so much. I'm almost through this book and it's helping me get through every day. I hope that will be your experience as well. You can get a copy of the book, Hope, Living Fearlessly in a Scary World, by sending a gift of any size to Turning Point during the month of March and asking for the book. Well, let's get started today. This is Disaster, the Fear of Natural Calamity. Every year, the news brings us yet another reminder that the natural forces governing this planet are troubled and unstable. Yes, nature is gorgeous and inspiring, but it's also monstrous and inhuman. In 2004, it was the Indian Ocean tsunami that killed 230,000 people. In 2005, we encountered Hurricane Katrina. And who can forget 2010, the earthquake in Haiti that cost another 220,000 people their lives. The tsunami in Japan, at least 15,000. Natural calamities rage in our world, costing us countless billions of dollars and more significantly hundreds of thousands of lives. We are all familiar with these events, but natural disaster raises many questions. Questions about the nature of our security, about our fear of the uncontrollable, and especially about the character of God. These questions need answers. But I'd like to open our discussion today by telling you about a biblical character who experienced two natural disasters in the space 
of 24 hours. And his name, of course, is Job. The first few verses of the book of Job tell us about the man. Tell us about, first of all, his faith. The scripture says that he was a man who was blameless and upright and feared God and shunned evil. He's also distinguished as a man of great fortune. The Bible tells us that he had possessions, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, a very large household. And the Bible says that this man was the greatest of all the people in the East. Job was also a family man. The first chapter of Job tells us that he raised sons and daughters who were close-knit. They held incredible birthday parties every year. And the Bible tells us that every time they had a birthday party, Job would offer a sacrifice to God on behalf of his children. Oh yes, Job was a man who had great faith and fortune, and he was also a great family man. He was also a man with many friends. We know about some of his friends because we meet them in the book of Job. We might not say they were the greatest of friends, but they were Job's friends as we know. And what we know about them is that when Job went through some great trials in his life, these friends traveled from many miles away. The scripture says they sat with him in silence for seven straight days out of compassion for his loss and his suffering. What those friends couldn't have known and what Job himself didn't know was what I remember saying when I taught the book of Job that God had made a deal with the devil. That doesn't seem like something you would ever say or even hear, but it's true. God made a deal with Satan about Job. In fact, the words of it are recorded in the first chapter. Let me read them for you from the eighth verse. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord, and he said, Does Job fear God for nothing? I mean, have you not made a hedge around him and around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Armed with God's permission, Satan went to work, and Job's ruin came rapidly. It began during one of those birthday feasts that I talked to you about, with the sons and daughters all gathered together, laughing and enjoying each other's company. A messenger comes to the family home and approaches Job with disturbing news. Sabean raiders have descended upon the estate, hijacked Job's cattle, killed all of his servants, and this messenger is the only one left alive so that he could come and tell Job what had happened. Yet even before he has finished with his account, before Job has taken it all in, the door opens and another messenger stands there. He is pale, his eyes are wide as he whispers, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants. And a third messenger brings news that the Chaldeans have raided and stolen the camels, killing the servants, and yes, only one is left to come with the bad news. 
while Job is trying to make sense out of this and form some sort of recovery plan, the last shoe drops. In verse 18 of the first chapter of Job, we read, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their older brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness. Does that sound familiar? A great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Can you imagine taking in such news in the course of one day? He was devoted to his children. He was constantly bringing them before God. But for all of his intercession, they have died in one fell blow. He faces ten fresh graves and an aching silence from heaven. Why, God? Why? And there is no answer. Since Bible scholars believe that Job is the oldest book in the Bible, we now know that the problem of natural calamities has been with us for as long as man has walked upon the earth. The Bible doesn't gloss over the tougher questions in life. It doesn't leave out the difficult stories. We're invited to stand with Job in the cemetery, looking down at the ashes of his dreams, and along with him to ask God, why? The first question that this story and all natural disasters provoke is this. What do these recurring disasters say about God? Natural disasters and the reality of God. Let me say to you, my friends, that if you came thinking that I was going to answer all your questions about disasters and why they happen, I cannot do that, nor can any other person do that, because that would involve looking into the very heart of God and knowing what God knows, and I cannot know that. But just because I cannot know everything does not mean I shouldn't take the things I can know and use them to help me comprehend, at least in some way, why these things happen and how we should respond. So let me tell you some things about God and disasters. First of all, God cannot be divorced from disasters. Some people say that the way you handle the questions of disasters and calamities in the world is just to say God didn't have anything to do with it. This explanation goes something like this. God created the world, but he's not involved in the operation of the world. If you've ever studied theology, you know that this is the doctrine of deism. Deism believes that we have a creator God and that we have a God who will judge us someday. But the interval between creation and judgment, God is silent and inactive and has nothing to do with anything that's happening in the world. He is an absentee God. When I was finished with my deal with cancer, my oncologist asked if I would be a part of a debate with a rabbi who had the same disease I had. I'll never forget that. And we each got to get up and talk about our cancer and our faith. He wanted to go first, and so he did. And he got up and he said something like this. People ask me all the time, do I pray to God about my illness? And he said, I tell them no. Since I know God had nothing whatsoever to do with my being sick, why should I expect that he would ever have anything to do with my getting well? 
I don't pray to a God like that because my God has nothing to do with going on on this earth. Then I got up and told everybody how good God had been to me and how he'd healed me. All I remember at the end of the event was I was standing there with Donna and there was a whole line of people waiting to talk to me and out of the corner of my eye I looked over and he was over there all by himself. (laughs) Because nobody wants to talk to somebody who doesn't believe God's involved in the world today. What would be the purpose of that? I could not help but wonder what he talked about in his synagogue from week to week. But we want to believe that, some of us. We want to believe that these evil things are so evil that God couldn't be a part of it. I think a lot of Christians adopt a sort of deism in an attempt to get God off the hook. (laughs) I really do. I mean, it allows us to affirm the goodness of God in the face of terrible evils just by saying, it's not God's fault. He created a good world, and he shouldn't be blamed if the good world goes wrong. Another way we extricate God from responsibility for disasters is to blame all of them on Satan. Does Satan have something to do with the evil in the world? Absolutely. But we know from our study of Job that Satan cannot do anything without God's permission. And if Satan has to get permission from God to do what he does, then God is still in control and he reigns in the affairs of men. People sense that he is involved in these things because even the secular newscasters call these events acts of God. If you don't know that term, read your insurance policy. (laughs) You know, you all know what I'm talking about. You know, if God does it, you don't get any money for it, right? (laughs) Acts of God. So for us to say that God is not involved in these cataclysmic events is too simple. Whether it's comfortable or not, we must discuss this issue with theological clarity. The Bible teaches that God is sovereign, that he reigns in the nice moments and in the moments that aren't so nice. Let's look at some of the reasons why disaster can exist in a world that God controls. First of all, God employs the elements of nature in the operation of the world. God didn't just create the world and then go off and leave it to run by itself with nothing to do for himself. The Bible teaches us that the God we serve is a hands-on God who's involved in every detail of life. You may not like to understand that or even believe it, but how many of you know whether we believe it or not, it's true. In fact, I want to read to you a passage from the book of Job where Job describes God's involvement with the issues of the world. Here it is, and I'll read it to you. You follow along verse 6 and verses 10 through 12. For God says to the snow, fall on the earth. Likewise to the gentle rain and the heavy rain of his strength. By the breath of God, ice is given, and the broad waters are frozen. Also with moisture, he saturates the thick clouds. He scatters his bright clouds, and they swirl about, being turned by his guidance, that they may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth. God does that. God's involved in the details of every day, in the weather, in the natural things. We do right to pray to God over those issues. But not only does God employ the elements of nature in the operation of the world, we all know from our study of the Bible that sometimes he employs the elements of nature in his opposition to evil. 
I mean, we're hardly out of the first few chapters of the book of Genesis when we are introduced to a flood that God sent upon a sin-blackened world, sparing only Noah and his righteous family. Later, God sent judgment upon Dathan, Abiram, Korah because of their rejection of him. I want you to hear the words that the Scripture uses to describe what happened to them in Numbers chapter 16, The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and all of their goods. God did that. God sent fire to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of their wickedness. He sent plagues to punish Egypt. He crafted a plague that killed 70,000 men because of David's sin in numbering his people. And he sent a fierce storm to get Jonah's attention and bring him to repentance so he could go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. Men and women, I don't know all the answers to this, but I want to tell you, when we distance God from responsibility for the things that go on in our world, we are claiming more than we know. For listen, if God is not in control of the world's disasters, then how can we depend on him to be in control of our lives and our future? Either he is involved in all of the world's operation, or he is not involved in any of the world's operation. God cannot be divorced from disasters. Number two, God cannot be discredited by disasters. Some people believe the way you deal with these issues is just to say, well, sure, these things happen. There is no God. God doesn't exist. Some people remove God from the equation entirely. He simply doesn't exist, they argue, and disasters are all the proof that we need. Wait a minute. You can't do that. You can't say, well, the reason we have all these disasters is because here it is, there's no God. As if disasters prove that we don't have a God. But let me just share with you the reasoning of one man who realized it wasn't that at all, it was exactly the opposite. C.S. Lewis, once an atheist himself, said disasters became a proof for him of God's existence. Here's his reasoning, put on your thinking cap. He's a smart dude. He said, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. Hmm. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? If the whole show was bad and senseless from A to Z, so to speak, why did I, who was supposed to be part of the show find myself in violent reaction against it. Thus, in the very act of trying to prove that God did not exist, in other words, that the whole of reality was senseless, I found I was forced to assume that one part of reality, namely my idea of justice, was full of sense. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. If the whole of the universe has no meaning, We should never have found out that it has no meaning. Just as if there were no light in the universe, therefore no creatures with eyes, we should never know it was dark. Dark would be without meaning. Everybody go, hmm, hmm. I told you he was smart. One thing we often overlook when we're reasoning about God and things that we don't understand is that the massive deaths that were caused by disaster cannot discredit God any more than a single death can discredit him. 
we know who brought death into the world, and it wasn't God. And we must remember that every one of the people who died in the Haiti earthquake would eventually have died anyway. And the fact that they died simultaneously is really no more tragic than if their death had been spread out over the next several decades. It's just that the sudden and unexpected simultaneous deaths shock us more. Death is in our world because the devil is the prince of death. He has already been neutered, and one of these days he will be gone. But right now he's still at work, is he not? God cannot be divorced from disaster. He cannot be discredited by disaster. Notice this one. He cannot be defined by disaster. Listen carefully. In the aftermath of every disaster, we often hear something like this. Well, I could never believe in a God who would allow such awful things to happen to his creatures. And those who define God solely by the evil he allows overlook the flip side of their complaint. Yes, there's evil in the world, but there's also an enormous amount of good. If God is not good as they claim, how do they account for all of the good we experience? Is it fair to judge him for the evil and not credit him with the good? There's no denying that we live in a world where many bad things happen, and much of it seems undeserved. One writer that I read asked this question, why do bad things happen to good people? And he answered with these words, the Christian answer is that there are no good people. (laughs) None of us deserves the life that we have which is a gratuitous gift from God. God is loving and his gifts abound in our world and so does his discipline. And that is why we must refuse to let only one side of the equation define God for us. He's a good God and we are all representatives of his goodness. Number four, God cannot be defeated by his disasters. When disasters happen, we are sometimes tempted to think like this, oops, God lost it, slipped out of his hands. He no longer is in control. God tried to do this thing and it didn't work. Now, I mean, you don't have to go very far to realize that can't be true because God doesn't have oops in his vocabulary. When disasters happen, how should we think about God? Well, let me let God answer that for himself right out of the scripture from Isaiah 46, verses nine through 11. Listen to these words. For I am God and there is no other I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will do it. Well, those are very emphatic statements by the one who alone can always keep his promise. We'll have more encouragement about this particular uh, phobia when we get together tomorrow for the next edition of Turning Point. In the meantime, um, we have a beautiful little bookmark that I think will will just be a good reminder to you uh, during these days. The bookmark says on the front of it, move from fear to fear not. And uh, on the other side of the bookmark is Isaiah 41.10, For I am with you, be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. During these days when uh, things can happen that can knock us off our game, 
it's good to know where we can find some encouragement and and get back in the game again for the Lord Jesus Christ. Tomorrow we'll take the second half of the fear of natural calamity. Wednesday and Thursday we're going to talk about the fear of serious illness. And then on Friday the first of two lessons on the fear of financial collapse. All of these uh, concerns are ones we know about because you have written to tell us about them. You've told us about your fears. Many of you, over these years, we've realized that fear, even for many Christians, is a debilitating force. So thankful we can take uh, some time during the month of March and uh, dispel some of those fears by just telling you what the Bible says and how it can be of help and blessing to you. I hope you'll allow us to do that. Don't forget, be among the first who ask for your copy of the book, Hope Living Fearlessly in a Scary World. We'll be happy to send that to you as our way of saying thank you for your gift during the month of March. Be one of the first to get your gift in the mail. Ask for your copy of this book. I'm pretty sure it will be a blessing to you and help to you, and it will strengthen you and give you strength to pass on to others. And uh, we'll see you right here tomorrow as we open our Bibles again to talk about fear. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's current series, What Are You Afraid Of? Please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of David's timely and encouraging new book, Hope, Living Fearlessly in a Scary World. Stop letting fear hold you back. The book is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.org radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, What Are You Afraid Of? here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. Dear friend, I'm Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'd like to take a moment to speak with you as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. There is no question we are living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. It is unlike anything 
I have experienced in my whole life. And the temptation in times like these is to allow fear and worry to creep into our thoughts and to rob us of our joy. But in these uncertain times, we need to remember that God is still in control. And my prayer for you is that you are healthy, you're in a safe place and surrounded by those you love. Please keep the ministry of Turning Point in your prayers as well. We will continue to bring the healing power of God's Word to you each day on radio, television, and online. And I really hope this will be a source of encouragement to you during the current coronavirus. So be safe, be in the Word, and be in prayer.